Welcome to Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. Hook, Line, and Splitter is presented by NJR Home Services. And now, here's your host, Greg Giambarisi. Since 1986, Rich Green Lawns has been the leading lawn fertilization company in the Jersey Shore, providing lawn fertilization, bed weed control, tick and mosquito control, as well as tree and shrub programs. Mention this edit, save 50% off your first lawn application. Call or text us today at 732-370-5963. 732-370-5963. Episode 50 of Hook, Line, and Splitter with Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast, and a special one, it's the morning of Game 1 of the World Series taking place about 1,500 miles away in Houston, Texas tonight, 8.03 Eastern, and the Phillies will take on the Astros in Game 1. Tonight, we're joined by my good friend and broadcast partner, Tony Graham from high atop Shortown Ballpark on a windy Friday in October. Tony, how are you? All right, Greg. Well, it's great to be here and uh, great to be within, you know, about 12 hours or, or less or so of uh, Phillies in Game 1 of the World Series here in 2022. And if you would have told me a month ago that was going to happen, I would have, <laughs> maybe three weeks ago or two weeks ago, I would have after never <laughs> believed it. After a couple of day games in Wrigley, <laughs> yeah. you had a, uh, on that, that last road trip there. Uh, but no, pretty sp- pretty special. They've had, they've had a great run. And uh, looking forward to this week, obviously they're going to take on the team that's been the standard in baseball over the last few years uh the Astros won 106 games this year and I think besides the Dodgers who the Phillies did not have to play I think most people think Houston is the best team in the, in the sport but that doesn't mean they're going to win uh and we'll see what happens tonight we'll, we'll do a little bit on that at, at the end um but we wanted to touch on the Phillies postseason with a special you know some blue claws twists of course and then we'll get into the, the Harper home run um, and some Phillies history that, that Tony was talking about with me on texts uh, throughout the day Sunday. But I guess we have to start – we'll touch on game five on Sunday because I kind of have to start there. One of the great <laughs> postseason games um, in, in, in recent vintage and, and Harper's home run in the eighth inning off of uh, Robert Suarez, one of the biggest home runs in, uh, you know, in Phillies history and postseason history and certainly in, in recent vintage. So – I was at home watching, Tony's at home watching, and our friend Ryan Mead, who works with the Blue Claws, is at the game. Right. And Tony and I were, were texting, and we're like, oh, well, Suarez is going to face Real Mudo, and then they're going to bring Hader in. Of course. And, well, I'm like, I assume he's warming up. Let me text our man on the scene. <laughs> so I text Ryan Mead, and, and, I, and I say, Hader's warming up, right? And he says, yeah, I assume for Harper. And I said, yeah, okay, me too. And that's what everybody assumed. How surprised were you at, when uh, – after Real Muto got the hit, which I believe was on an 0-2 pitch, by the way, uh, that we didn't see Hader. I was beyond shocked. It was, it was a mixture of shock and shockingly presently, supply, uh, presently surprised. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, Hader, this is from various shows I've been listening to since then, had apparently struck out the previous eight batters he had faced in the postseason. But if you're not going to bring in Hayter, then why did you even trade for him? Yep. I mean, the entire season for San Diego is on the line. Another thing I, I was I was uh, contemplating, we talked about this, is if a Phillies manager had done this, the fans would have demanded yep. his firing, not only the next day, but probably the next hour. 
I mean, it's something he would have never been able to live down. Remember Gabe Kapler's first game as manager of the Phillies? He took Aaron Nola out in Atlanta in the sixth inning of a game when he had thrown 68 pitches and he was hurling a gem. Kapler takes him out. The Braves rally to win. And everybody in Philadelphia wanted Kapler fired the next day. He got, it's a, it's he almost got, amazing he lasted the, the two years he did. They were on the road. Right. And in Atlanta. Yeah. They had their home opener. Right. So you do the the home the introductions, which is right. one of the great parts of any opening day or postseason opener or whatever. And he got booed. It's almost <laughs> impossible. It's almost impossible. But, I mean, it's true, though, because, you know, the, like the, the northeast spots, Philly, New York, Boston. Right. You make a, a blunder like that, it's hard to get over. Like Grady Little did the had the Pedro thing in game seven against the Yankees in two thousand and three, where he left him in and he got fired. Yeah, um, you, you 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 don't you don't get over it, but in California <laughs> Well what did you text me? You said uh, they're on the surfing. <laughs> the fans. <laughs> all surf. the fans. Well <laughs> I was gonna I was about to say they're onto the Chargers. I'm like, Oh, they're not there anymore. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so we'll come back to to that hit. That was a, it was a great game, and this will be a great series. But I want, wanted to do this kind of this is a blue claws podcast, so we'll kind of do this from a blue claws perspective. Tony and the and the Phillies have gotten some significant contributions from uh, a number of, of former blue claws. I don't even know where to start. I guess we can start <laughs> up the middle there with with Bryson Stott, who was the most recent of the blue claws uh, that are contributing here with the with the Phillies. He was here for the first month of. 2019 and you know part of the turnaround for the for the Phillies was after after Rob Thompson took over one of the things he has said was you know the, as far as changes he made was they kind of started to get some of the younger guys more right. consistent and regular playing time and um, and I, I heard Thompson interviewed the other day and he's and he said even he was uh, pleasantly surprised at how well Stott has played you know he thought he'd be a stabilizing force for sure but um, you know, he's exceeded expectations in, in his rookie year. Yeah, well, Stott has always hit. He has always hit at every level. And then he gets up uh, to Philadelphia, and I think at one stretch there he was 6 for 60 or 6 for 66, and they send him down for a little bit. Yeah. And they bring him back, and the uh, talk is that had Joe Girardi remained, they would have kept Didi Gregorius and, uh, because Girardi, the Yankee connection there. And, and, prefers, and have, he prefers veterans in right. general. Yeah. And Stott may never have gotten a chance. And, you know, this year he has a walk-off home run during the regular season. He has a, a – again, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but from a certain date on toward the end of the season, he hit like 280 or 290 and really started to uh, be in the groove. Well, and the thing was, yeah. he was he was very unlucky. You know, he had, you know, he had stretches where he hit the ball really hard right. and just wasn't getting – uh, you know, he was working counts, and, and he was doing everything you would want, and he was, you know, his batting average on balls in play was, was really low. And, you know, his batting average might have been in the 100s for a while, but it was kind of artificially right. there. He hit, um, yeah, he hit 133, 4 for 30 in April, 116 in May, 238 in June, 226 in July, but then in August, 287, and then in, uh, in September he hit um, – you know, 244 there. But, you know, he takes walks. He's played very right. well at short. And he was 7 for 18 in October, the, the six regular season games there. You can arguably October. say that maybe he got the most subtle big hit 
well, here, the postseason. 188 before the break and 276 after, okay. so there you go. So, game three of the NLCS versus Atlanta, Spencer Strider has breezed through the first two innings yep. against the Phillies. The uh, first game at Citizens Bank Park, game three. And Stott has that in the third inning, the nine-pitch at bat where he keeps fouling off fastball after fastball after fastball and finally Strider throws him a, a slider inside and he doubles down the right field line. I believe it was an RBI double. He, there was a walk before that and uh, that really you know, opened the gates and two batters later Hoskins with the bat spike <laughs> and the three run home run. Well I'll give you another one we were talking about Harper's home run. Right. In the seventh inning, the inning before, Stott leads off the inning, and he works the count, fouls off yeah. a, a bunch of pitches, and this was off Darvish. This was right. the last batter Darvish faced. And Joe Davis was doing the game, and I thoroughly enjoy oh, him and Smoltz. They're excellent. phenomenal. They're, the they're two of them together. Are, he's great. Smoltz is great. They're phenomenal together. But Joe Davis even said, was like, well, because remember, the – the Padres had the big sixth inning, so Darvish or the sorry, the big um, top of the seventh oh. inning. So Darvish had been sitting down for a while. It's raining and misting at the time, kind of nasty conditions, and Darvish is, you know, he was struggling to spot his fastball. He's throwing a lot of breaking ball, and J Joe Davis said, "Well, I think he's going to sit on a breaking ball here on three two. Sure enough, he did, and he doubled it down the line. That could have been the hit that ignited the rally. It wasn't his fault that. They stranded him <laughs> in scoring position. Yeah. But that that could have – that wasn't – it turned out not to be because they stranded him. But that could have easily been, um, right. you know, a, a big hit there. And then the, the one against the Braves, by the way, that you were referencing was an RBI double. It was an RBI. Yeah. yeah he drove so. in Marsh. Marsh had, had walked. Marsh had walked. Segura struck out. And then um, – Marsh moved up on a, the errant pickoff throw. Right. Stott doubled. Then they walked Schwarber. And Hoskins hit the home run, and away we go. So, yeah, so, you know, he's been great. And then Alec Bohm, who's had kind of a adventurous season, which started <laughs> a little shaky, especially yeah. in the field. Um, but I think, you know, he, he's been really solid in the field. And I, know, I guess the knock on him when he was coming through here was, well, they weren't sure if he was going to be able to stick at third. We only saw him for a month. Right. He was. He always seemed fine yeah. at third yeah. to us, um, but certainly there were some bumps bumps in the road along the way. And Rob Thompson credited Bobby Dickerson, uh, the Phillies infield coach, for really helping Boom get through it. And and Thompson said that he has never seen a player improve so much in the field physically and mentally over the course of a season of, of any of the teams that he's been around. Yes. Uh, Boom began the year with that famous little blow-up he had <laughs> that everybody saw. Against the Mets, against yeah. Against the Mets when he had some, some not-so-kind words about Philadelphia fans. and then The T-shirt vendors were happy. <laughs> and then he made up for that in the post-game uh, comments and has delivered, you know, in the for the most part in the field and certainly at the plate ever since. And if, if, if you go back, well, we're talk, we're, so we're talking Boehm here, and in the game that you could say 
gave the Phillies the tiebreaker over Milwaukee for the final playoff berth as they careened down the stretch. A tiebreaker uh, loomed to be very important. Oh yeah, that would have been a, that was a huge advantage. Uh, they, they didn't need it, didn't need it but as they as very it, easily uh, could as have. It, as it turned out, and it was Bohm and another former Blue Claw, Matt Vierling. Vierling is a pinch hitter in the ninth inning of that first series against the Brewers in Milwaukee who hit the home run to a fader who had come in having not allowed a run in yeah. some ridiculous His flipped on that. Yeah, yeah. In some ridiculous period of time and, and Boom let off the ninth for the home run that tied the game at two and one batter later, Matt Drilling steps a pinch steps up, excuse me, as a pinch hitter for Mickey Moniak, remember him? So Vierling steps up for Moniak and he swats a home run to deep left center of Hader and that uh, yeah, sort of sent Hader on the skids after that. Yeah, it's amazing uh, Hader, the role Hader played in the story of the Phillies. Right, yeah. For two different teams. <laughs> Correct. Uh, and he probably only pitched, I don't know, two <laughs> or three innings. <laughs> but it was the inning that he didn't pitch that, uh, you know, that that's the, re that's the real story. Uh, Reese Hoskins, you know, what can you say? You know, he's been kind of the face in some ways of the the public face, the spokesperson, if you will, um, you know, for this group for a while. You know, he's been here. The I think he's the longest tenured big leaguer. Ranger Suarez is the longest tenured Philly. He's been with the Phillies longer. But Hoskins is the longest tenured big leaguer. He was here in 2015. He mashed the ball for half a season and then uh, got promoted to, at the time, high A Clearwater. Blue Claws were low A at the time. But, you know, he's had some of the bigger hits of the postseason. The one against the Braves in game three off Strider will go down as one of the, you know, more exciting, maybe not the biggest moment. They, they blew him out anyway. But, uh, you know, one of the more exciting and emphatic home runs in, in the, the Phillies' recent vintage. Greg, two former Blue Claws who you had to wonder when they were here if indeed they would make it to the big leagues. It didn't seem all that likely that they would, but have played key roles at times this season, namely Dalton Guthrie and Nick Maton. You want to skip Hoskins? Well, we, we, we talked about Hoskins. Nothing to add. <laughs> well... <laughs> I mean, all the guy did was hit home runs. I mean, you know, that, that's all. <laughs> now, I'm being facetious there. But, uh, you know, certainly Hoskins, you know, and we talked about him, the, the home runs he's hit. Of course, that, that three-run blast off, off uh, Strider, which really turned that whole series on its head uh, yeah. against Atlanta. What do you remember about Hoskins when he was here? Hit home runs. Yeah. <laughs> he, hit, he hit 320. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I remember talking to Sean Williams was the manager yep. then, and I uh, went down and uh, did you know every day we would talk with with Sean, and we spoke about uh, Hoskins and about his power. And Sean's comment about Hoskins was that he was a hitter first, and then a power hitter second. That he was a hitter with power, not a power hitter who hit. If there is some sort of a a line in there, but he was a hitter first because he did hit over 300. And, you know, he hit, but he hit here, eight, nine home runs in the, in, in the, in the time that uh, 
he was here. You know what's fun, Greg? He was I'm only like, here. For, yeah, he was here for half a season. Yeah, too. I'm sure it is for you too. And because I'll tell people, well, I remember talking with Reese Hoskins when he was here, or I remember doing an interview with Nick Mayton. We did Mayton a couple of times. He was here for an entire season during the championship, uh, the run to the championship uh, a couple of years back, and. Uh, Guthrie, I, I remember talking with him. And, and you can go on down the line, all the ex-Blue Claws. And, yeah, we were here when Sir Anthony Dominguez was striking out guys here as, as, as yeah. a minor leaguer. He was and, a starter. And, and, right, he was a starter. That was a great move, as it turned out, putting him in the bullpen and so forth and so on. It's just fun to see these guys move up and play key roles in a, in, in a run to the World Series. Yeah, you mentioned Veerling. You mentioned Guthrie. Right. Uh, I mean – I don't know if they're going to put him on the – we're taping this in the morning uh, of the day of game one. By the time you might listen to it, they might have announced the roster. I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. My hunch is they're probably not going to put Derek Hall on, but they might because the Astros don't have a left-hander in the pen. And obviously there's a DH, so the positional versatility that you get from Dalton Guthrie, who I assume would be the guy that, that might come off um, – if you put Derek Hall on, it's, it's obviously muted. I don't know. The, the situations where Hall would come in would, would are, are pretty limited. But the story of the 2022 Phillies can't be told without him because right. sure. he had to step in, and I don't think he was necessarily the first option uh, when Bryce Harper went down, but they were scuffling a bit, and they said, all right, let's see what he, what he can do. And he did a great job yeah. as the uh, as the fill-in DH there, hit a bunch of homers. Uh, Homer, I think, in his second game, with the after he got promoted earlier in in the year, uh, and he's been with the team. He and Nick Maton are not on the active, or have not been on the active roster the last two rounds, but they are there in Philly or with the and traveling with the team. I don't know what they're going to put him on, um, but he really did a, did a great job. Chris Hall, when he was here, hit 27 home runs, and. You know, you, you root for all the guys that were here as, sure. as they move along, and Hall especially because he was so he was so great to talk to, and <laughs> stories about him where he comes from this you know small town in Arizona, and we used to talk about they had one stoplight <laughs> in the yeah. entire town, and he he was just so so good to talk with. And then when we used to go down, when I used to go down to uh, spring training, he was. Uh, down there with, with the big club and he had hit a home run in the spring training game and I interviewed him about that and he, he was so excited we're going back you know three four years he hits a home run in the spring training game and that that's a big deal for him they also tried him I remember talking with him about this they tried him in left field for a game or two just just yeah. to see how that would work out and it just wasn't feasible yeah uh, you know the problem is the DH is just locked up right. because of Harper so but he did a he did a he did a great job. It's a cool story. Matt Gelb did a story on Hall in July when he got called up, or he had been up at the time for about a month, and noted that in 2020 Hall didn't even get invited to the summer camp, right. the yeah. extended alternate site. Right. Um, so he was just back in Arizona, and he basically did. Uh, competitive fishing <laughs> he would go around to do, do fishing tournaments i remember doing an interview i interviewed him that summer and he was literally on a boat in the middle of some like a i don't know a big boat he was just on a boat in a lake in arizona on zoom 
and we talked for half an hour. <laughs> he was, he's awesome. I'll always root for him. So yeah, those are the hitters, and then the position or the uh, the pitchers. You have, of course, I guess you have to start with with Ranger. Suarez, who will pitch game three, and he got the save, a, a two-pitch, two-out save, by the way, which is pretty rare, in game five. But he'll pitch game three on uh, Monday night, Halloween, in in Philly. And, you know, a guy that signed for 20, and this will be a theme of the next two guys, signed for $25,000 out at, of at Venezuela back in 2012, 10 years ago, um, and has d- developed... He always threw strikes. I remember right. he had staggering numbers in the Dominican Summer League, uh, which, you know, it's hard to – you don't want to take those – you can't take it – you can't take those numbers too seriously. But I remember the year he – he uh, the year – he got to Lakewood in 2017, and we're looking at his numbers. And in 2014 in the Venezuelan Summer League, he struck out 78 batters and walked one, like literally <laughs> one. And then in 2015 in the Gulf Coast League, he – you know, 20 strikeouts, only walked four in 27 innings. But he, he didn't really walk that many guys. And he was great when he was here. He had a 159 ERA, almost threw a perfect game. He took a perfect game into the eighth inning, I think in his last start with the Blue Clots, if not his last one, one of his uh, one of his last starts. But, it, you know, he's a great story of development for the Phillies. Well, when he was here, I used to call, we used to call him the Lone Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> and then... He was here with Marty Malloy yeah, that yeah. year in 2017. Brian Sweeney was the pitching coach. Yeah, and, and the Lone Ranger is riding again. But you know, it's funny, but he, was, he wasn't even yeah. – he had a 159 ERA. And I almost want to say he went under the radar because his teammate, Sixto Sanchez, was here. And every time Sixto pitched, yeah. it was a – it was, uh, you know, it was a big deal. But, you know, you had Ranger on that team. You had JoJo Romero on that team, who, who also made the big leagues. He's now with the Cardinals. Um but yeah, no Ranger. Ranger's great, and he's and he's fun to watch. And you could tell he keeps he helps. It's a very loose clubhouse, and right. he's a big part of that. You can just tell, um, you know, just reading the stories and, and watching the interactions. He's always got a smile on his face. Just a fun guy, and he's enjoying every minute of it. And what a masterstroke by Rob Thompson to have him ready in the bullpen in case David Robertson faltered, which. Which he did. He, he yeah. did. We, got, we should mention Bailey Fodder here in a minute, speaking of Fodder. Yeah. But he, Ranger Suarez, as, as Robertson was struggling, was the last guy. I, I mean, he didn't even cross my mind as possibly coming into the game, and suddenly he's warming well, up, he and then pitched, he, he's in he the game. He got some saves a couple uh, last, last year. Last yeah. year, he was a closer for for, uh, for a spell. I mean, in the postseason, you do but crazy stuff like that. Yeah, Not I, crazy, I, but different stuff that you would never do in the It's part of what makes the postseason great. Right. It's just a different – the games are managed differently, except by Bob Melvin. And <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Ranger Suarez, um, he's done a great job. And then Sir Anthony Dominguez as well, another guy. He signed for $25,000 almost 10 years ago and was a starter. He pitched well for the Blue Claws here in the 2016 Championship Series. He was their game against Rome. He was their game two starter, uh, and he had come up to the Blue Claws in July or August of of that season and did a did a really nice job. And he had some injury problems, and they made him a reliever, and he is lights out. Yeah, Sir Anthony uh, had the Tommy John, and he comes back this year and is pitching well, and, and then he has uh, some arm issues, and he's on the shelf for a while, and he comes back and probably records 
well, two of the biggest strikeouts in the postseason that the Phillies have ever had. And certainly this year, when, when he's in the situation, he's facing uh, uh, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado back-to-back in uh, the eighth inning of, of the game that they clinched two to nothing victory and he strikes them both out he, he gets uh, Goldsmith I think fishing on a 3-2 slider and then he struck out uh, well take it a step take it a step further the Phillies signed him to a two-year contract in 2020 December of 2020 right. and he's rehabbing his Tommy John surgery at the time remember he had he had to delay the surgery because he had gotten hurt uh, right at the outset of COVID, and they weren't doing right. yeah. they weren't doing uh, elective surgeries at the time, and it was a whole mess. So he didn't throw a pitch from June fifth, twenty nineteen, and then this is in December of twenty twenty. So he basically missed a full season and a half. They signed him to uh, a contract, and what a move that was. So what is the status right now? For 2023? Yeah. I think he, let's see. By the way, as we're, we're talking here, we are sitting, as Greg mentioned, in, in the broadcast. Well, yeah, here. he's, he's uh, yeah, he has, he has his arbitration years coming up. Yeah. But they had tendered him a deal when, you know, he probably, he was going to miss all of the 2021 season. And remember, they tried to get him back at the end of the year. He rehabbed, he made a couple rehab yeah. appearances here. Um, in August of, of last year, but you know he was in the in the teeth of the the injury, and you know they they brought him back, and um, that worked out. You know the the three key relievers for the Phillies right now, or the, sorry, three of the key pitchers for the Phillies right now: Ranger, Dominguez, and Jose Alvarado. Dominguez and and Suarez signed for twenty five thousand dollars as international free agents with the Phillies, and they traded for Alvarado, and one of the they traded Edgar Garcia, who was a pitcher who pitched here, and they signed him for $35,000. And they traded Sixto, who signed for, I think, $10,000, $20,000. And he was the key piece in the in the Real Mudo trade. So, you know, Sal Agostinelli, who's in charge of their international free, free agents, you know, he's hit, he hit big uh, in a few of those, uh, you know, on those guys. And those are tough, you know, because not only do you, you, you sign them, and then you throw them in, and they get developed. That, that's a whole, that's those are huge, huge, huge organizational wins. Another organizational win that has flown under the radar, maybe a little bit, is Bailey Falter. Yeah, who is here, also and, in 2017 with Suarez. Right, and again another pitcher that you know flew under the radar for most of his minor league career, and all of a sudden here in 2022, uh, when Wheeler is out. He's starting some key games down the stretch. And pitching very well. They used him very judiciously pitching. Maybe maybe he doesn't get the decision. He pitches four innings, five innings, and gets the job done in the majority of those starts. Yeah, no, he did a you know he did a he did a great job. Matt Gelp had a story on him uh, the other day, or he linked it the other day. If you go to the Athletic and just search Bailey Falter, uh, you know it'll it'll come up and uh, he. His father, he's from California, his father showed him pictures and, and videos of, of Sandy Koufax from the time he was <laughs> like eight years old. He had Sandy Koufax posters on the wall and everything. So, uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a fifth round pick, I believe, in 2015. 
and is is now a big factor. And then Connor Brogdon. Brogdon was here in 2018 right. yeah, as a key member of the Blue Claws bullpen that uh, nearly led them to a championship, fell a little bit short against uh, Lexington that year. But, but Brogdon had a tremendous year that year. He's one of the nicest players that yeah. I think has, has ever come through here. And interestingly enough, uh, I was listening to this interview that Rob Thompson did with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, mm-hmm. and he's, they asked him about the bullpen, and he said, you know, Alvarado, Dominguez, Brogdon have all been throwing the ball well. And he put Brogdon, you know, in that group. And, I, you know, I think he kind of he trusts him a little bit more and that they're happy with the way he's been throwing. So don't be surprised if he gets a – if he has to get a key out. Well, he's probably going to have to get a key out at some point. But don't be surprised if you see him in some key moments um, during this series. Well, he had a key moment. When Bailey Falter did falter, <laughs> start. Those were sneaky, <laughs> sneaky important outs. Yes. Yeah. He came in and he's. Phillies so were down at the time four nothing, and then Hoskins hits the two run homer to make it four two, and Brogdon comes in, and as you say, Greg, sneaky outs there. He stabilized the situation, pitched a couple of scoreless innings, and uh, the Phillies uh, come back to win. Brogdon. His had, first uh, postseason yeah. games, by the way, since the 2018 SAL Championship <laughs> Series. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, the Blue Claws that year, he was here the whole year. If you remember, he was a starter at the beginning of the year, and it didn't, it wasn't going that well. They moved him to the pen, and he finished the season uh, that year with a two point four seven ERA. And he was, you know, he was another one. He was a late-ish pick. He was a tenth round pick out of Lewis and Clark State, and didn't sign for a lot of money. And uh, you know, another one of these development successes um, that the Phillies have had and those are you can't underestimate though you know it's easy to say well you know Schwarber free agent Wheeler free agent Harper free agent like but you have to these games are so close they're really one on the margins and then you know you get your contributions of course from Wheeler who's been great and Harper who's been out of this world but you're not here without the contributions of Dominguez Suarez you know, Derek Hall in the middle of the year helped out in a bi- in big ways, and and many others. Philly's minor league development has come under a lot of fire over the last couple of years, and I think a lot of that, unfortunately, has had to do with Mickey Moniak, who is never the player that lived up to a one-one draft pick. And just as he was starting to come into his own, maybe he gets hurt. In his final at bat, or what turned out to be his final yeah. at bat in spring training, and then eventually get gets traded. So whenever anyone talked about the Phillies minor league system, Moniak was always the flashpoint of players that didn't develop as they had hoped. But yet, as you just pointed out, they've had a lot of players from the system that they drafted over the years or signed over the years that have been key contributors to this run to the World Series. And signed for a little money. Right. Suarez, Dominguez, Brogdon, uh, et, and et cetera. And then you want another, you know, Logan Ohapi. You know, we right. were a little, I, got, I have to admit, I was a little, eh, when they traded for Brandon Marsh, but that was, and I, Ohapi's already made the big leagues and we're always going to root for him. Sure. But, um, you know, the stabilizing the, their defense there in center field, uh, was very important. And Marsh has had a few big hits. You know, he's known as a, more of a defense-first guy, but he's had a couple of big hits in the uh, in the postseason as well. We can't cap this part, though, without uh, 
the first manager that I worked with full time here, uh, and I and for you too, right? Since you started covering Dusty Wathen, who is oh, now sure, the yeah. Phillies third base coach. There's a report this morning that he signed a contract extension to stay on as the third base coach moving forward, which I'm thrilled for him. Uh, I was hoping he would get a managerial shot this offseason, and I know he interviewed for the Marlins job that he did not get, and he interviewed for the Royals job that I assume he didn't get because if, if, if the <laughs> reports of the extension are true. And he has deep ties there. His dad was in the organization as a player, coach, and executive for, I think, 48 years or something. He just retired. Uh, but, no, Dusty's awesome, and uh, I'm glad he, he'll be with the Phillies for a while, and uh, he does a great job. And he had managed uh, ten Reese, years. Yeah, Reese Hoskins and, and some of the others in the minor leagues. There was a lot of speculation that uh, a couple of years ago when the Phillies made one of their managerial moves that he would get the Phillies job. Well, he interviewed when they hired Kepler. Right. I don't believe he was in the big leagues yet. I think he was, in 2017, he was Lehigh's manager. And in he had Hoskins that year in Lehigh, and he I think he debuted that year, and he had Hoskins the year before in Reading where he hit 38 home runs. Yeah, they had the Bash brothers at the time, Hoskins and Dylan Cousins. Right, 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 right. Who were clubbing the ball at uh, Reading. So, yeah. He's the winningest manager in Reading history. I don't know how – I mean, Sean's been there for a while. I don't know how long Sean's got to go to pass him. But, uh, yeah, we're always rooting for him. And he was the manager for the 2009 boot clause, of course, with Anthony Ghost and, and then Travis Darno. So I'm sure it was a it was a fun series for Dusty there to beat his old catcher, who I know he <laughs> he loved when he was when he had him here, and I'm, I'm sure he respects him very much. And I know he respects him very much based on uh, what he said about Travis when he played here. He loved him. I just want to mention, I did mention this before about the wind. We are in the press box. Right? Yeah, yeah, we have <laughs> the a little opening. Yeah, so it's sort of like an April day here in, in the, the end of October. And the wind, by the way, if anyone cares, is blowing in well, from yeah. center field. Today would be a horrible day to hit yes. and play <laughs> for that yeah. matter. Or broadcast if the, wind was, if the window was open. Yeah. Lightstar Energy Group is a leading energy brokerage firm headquartered in New Jersey. Our goal is to provide clients with premium energy management services to lower electricity and natural gas costs and to provide a long-term energy management strategy. We pride ourselves on bringing each and every individual business the same benefits of deregulation enjoyed by universities, municipalities, and all high-volume energy users. Tailored products and contracts, lower costs, personal attention, and outstanding service. 732 or lights uh, for Light Star Energy Group seven three two seven two two five eight eight zero. So Monday, Phillies won Sunday, and Monday I get a text from Tony, and he lists his top six yeah. hits in Phillies history, and you're not going to be too surprised with. <laughs> Number one, yeah, the Bryce Harper hit, and what went into your list? Did you do any so, research, at, or did yeah, you just I, have I, it all? Mostly from the top of my head, and then I went back and, and uh, checked, and just a couple of the games because, because you got to remember that from 1950 to 1980, they didn't win a whole lot. <laughs> They had the infamous 1964 collapse. Yep. Right? And then, 
and then nothing really in, until uh, the the Ryan Howard era, Jimmy Rollins era, so to speak, and then around 1980. So there weren't a lot of big moments to pick <laughs> between uh, 1950 and 1980, unless you want to throw in Johnny Callison's home run in the All-Star game in 1964. But that was, you know, that's that's, that's a, a different no, we're not counting. That's a different type, different type of moment. So my criteria was for for big hits, they really have to be iconic hits, but they've got to be dramatic, which is also iconic, obviously. They have to be late in games, so that they're also very clutch moments, and they have to either clinch a division, which one of them does here or put the Phillies on the verge, on the very precipice of a World Series appearance. Now, before we get into this list... We should do this in reverse order, by the way. Yeah, Six oh, we will. Yeah, oh, yeah. we will, yeah. So a couple of that I, I threw down for honorable mention, and if anybody, you know, wants to text Greg or myself and, or, uh, you know, eventually email us or, or, or add to that uh, list, that's fine. But 1980, I'm, these are a couple of honorable mention hits. Um, which I covered, by the way, for the Asbury Park Press. We used to cover uh, as, as, as a paper, the Phillies, directly, where you know, we sat in the press box, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, whole, the, uh, the, the whole package, interviewed players, uh, the whole deal. So just these honorable mentions, game five of the um, 1980 NLCS, one of the classic championship series, a five-game series with Houston. With Houston. With Four Houston. extra inning games. Right, yeah. Yeah. And the uh, last game, it was a best of five. Best of five. Game one was a nine-inning game, and then the other four were all, all extra, extra inning innings. games. And game five, top of the tenth inning, uh, Gary Maddox, RBI single, which uh, beats Houston eight to seven. Earlier in that game, Manny Trio, a big two-run triple in the eighth in which uh, Phillies came into the, the eighth trailing Nolan Ryan 5-2, to two, and there was some ridiculous stat. Ryan had never lost a game, wow. right, where he had taken a lead. In that deep into the game. Into, into, into the eighth inning. So just a, as a reference point, Scott Lauber of the Inquirer tweeted a, a list of biggest hits in Phillies postseason history, and the ranking was – not his opinion. It was based on win probability added. Yeah. So, what's their win probability starting, and then what's it after the hit? The trio hit was the trio triple. The trio triple came in eighth. Right. The eighth this is postseason only. Uh, came in eighth. It was added win probability of of thirty nine percent. Yeah, that hit gave them yeah. a seven five lead. Then Houston tied it up in the bottom of the. Eighth inning, I believe they did. They tied it up in the bottom of the eighth. They came right back with two runs off Tug McGraw, and sent the game into extra innings. And then the Phillies won it in the tenth. And the Phillies had a starter close out that game. Dick Ruthven came in in the bottom of the tenth. And as a writer, Greg, you know, and and, and you, you you've done it all from from writing to broadcasting. Uh, you always start to write your story a little bit in advance. And I had, yes. I'd already, when it's 5-2 going to the top of the eighth, I had already written that they lost. Yeah. <laughs> I was, that was like a, that was, that was a fait accompli that, that, that they were going to lose. And I don't, to this day, I don't remember exactly, I never looked up exactly what my lead was after they, 
after they uh, won. But I remember what my lead was going to be if they lost. I was going to say the Phillies left Houston last night, leaving the World Series deep in the heart of Texas. Mm. <laughs> A great lead that, thank you, I didn't, <laughs> didn't have to use. Yeah. So that that's one of that's uh, so the, a, a combination the, of, of, of two big. Hits if you're there. wondering, the that was eighth on this list because they were tied. They so were tied. If it would have been higher if they were losing at right. the time. And then we'll get to another one in a little while. Same thing. But all right, go ahead. And so number six. Um, I go in chronological order here. Uh, we haven't even hit the top six yet. Oh, <laughs> that's not even in the. T- I'm doing the honorable mentions. Oh, got it. <laughs> 1983, um, first inning, uh, Gary Matthews hits a three-run home run. This is game four of the best of five against uh, the Dodgers in the NLCS. It was just a tremendous moment. He had already had a tremendous series, and he comes up in the bottom of the first inning, and I'm thinking to myself, we are again covering the game for the Asbury Park Press. I think, and the place is already really rowdy. We're talking Veteran Stadium here, with 65,000 fans, and Matthews. I'm going. Wouldn't it just be something if it's a home run now? And sure enough, he rockets a three-run home run in the bottom of the first inning, and the Phillies go on to win that game, and the series. The Dodgers had defeated the Phillies 11 of 12 regular season games that season in 1983, and the Phillies come back and uh, take them three games to one in uh, the uh, National League Championship Series en route to the World Series where they lost to Baltimore. And then when I just added the other night, I was thinking about it. In 1993, in uh, the playoffs where, where they beat Atlanta en route to the World Series where they would lose to uh, Toronto on the uh, Joe Carter home run, but Lenny Dykstra's home run in the 10th inning, 1993, um, Gives, gives the Phillies uh, the lead and it turns out uh, the victory. And it, it doesn't, it, it, it's a game that puts them on the verge of the verge because then You're they right. come home yeah. and they beat, uh, they beat Greg Maddox. Uh, Mickey Morandini, I always talked to him about this when he was here. It's a big two run triple off, off of Maddox in the fifth inning. I was not knocking him out of the ball game. I was at game and that's again they clinched, three yeah. of the. Padres series, the LCS, right. and Mickey, they showed him on the oh, scoreboard a huge ovation. I have to ask you as someone who was there, and I, we've heard and read and seen so much about it, what was it like? What was the atmosphere of being there for that game, which emblematic of how, how the fans reacted during well, this whole series? Well, game three was a weird, it was a unique game. If you remember, uh, Suarez comes out, he throws, I, th- I think, at nine, maybe ten pitch first inning, one, two, three, Schwarber hits a home run. First batter. First batter. Next two guys get on, and now everybody, the place is going absolutely bananas. Right. And everybody's thinking that it's going to be another three-hour party. <laughs> Musgrove's gonna, not going to get out of the first inning. He's already thrown 18 or 19 pitches to three batters and got nobody out. And Harper hit into a double play, right. and then Hoskins was retired, or not Hoskins, um, Castellanos was retired to end the inning. And you had the lead, but it kind of had this uh, here we go again kind of feel. It was still rocking the whole time, no doubt about it. But for a couple of innings there, you just had this nagging feeling that they should be up three or four to nothing. And Musgrove settled in a little bit. And then by the end of the game, um, you know, Segura had that crazy inning there where he had the error on the drop ball that 
could have been a double play. Maybe, maybe it would have been an out. It mm-hmm. could have been a double play. And then he gets the big hit in the bottom of the inning, and then he gets picked off, and everybody's just <laughs> laughing. Because <laughs> he, he had the two-run single, then he made that great diving play in uh, the eighth uh, on the ball to his left where they got the out at first base. That was a tremendous play. And, you know, once they once he got his hit uh, in the bottom of the fifth or sixth or whatever, the, the place was, was really loud and rocking the, the rest of the way. But you kind of had this – it kind of had this weird feeling in the early stages, like, oh, here we go. They missed a chance. Yeah, yeah, they definitely – I mean, you felt it for sure. Right, they, yeah. they did. I mean, they, yeah. they clearly did, and it, it didn't matter. And then uh, Dominguez came in, and Alvarado came in – or Alvarado, then Dominguez, and uh, and shut the door. It, it, was, it was pretty crazy. Did anybody sit down? It looked in TV so, as if everybody was always standing no, during the game. most of the game, for sure, everybody was standing yeah. up. We had good seats. We were in uh, – the lower level behind the first base dugout, right. and most of the people were were standing um, <laughs> the pretty much the game. whole time. Yeah, pretty. Not the whole time, but pretty much. So, all right, so top much, six. So, so now we, we got to step on the gas pedal here. <laughs> I think the game is going to start in a few. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I have to get ready for tonight's Boo Claws Spooktacular. The boo. What, I was, what, what, I'm what, sticking what, out at seven. What sti- time is that, by the way? It's at six, and then the movie starts at seven, oh and then I'm going to sneak out of by about seven thirty, and I'll be home with plenty. Of th- I'll be home okay. with plenty of time. Yeah. I'm probably going to miss the introductions, though, which uh, I absolutely love the introductions. Yeah. Okay, so now we go to uh, top six. We go to 1980, and this is a regular season game, but it clinches the division, Eastern Division for the Phillies. Mike Schmidt's 11th inning home run. At Montreal snaps a 4-4 tie and clinches the division title. The Phillies went into that. Um, I was there, by the way, for that. We, again, the Asbury Park Press was covering it uh, at the time. So in 1980, um, Phillies going to the last series at Montreal. The press actually flew me up there uh, for that. And they go into the final series tied with Montreal, the exact time for the division title. They win on Friday night. Uh, and then they win on Saturday on Schmidt's home run in the uh, top of the uh, 11th inning. Pete Rose leads off the inning with, with, with a, a single. Then there's an out, and then Schmidt connects for uh, the two-run home run. There was a lot of th- talk after that game of why there was only one out, and why didn't – because Don McCormick, a backup catcher, was on deck, mm-hmm. and why not walk Schmidt? to put runners at first and second with one out for the backup catcher mm-hmm. who, after Schmidt hits the home run, actually singles. What was the score? The score was 4-4. Yeah, you could have done that. So, you know, you, sorry, sure, you put runners at first and second, but now you got a backup catcher in, in the game, a right-hand hitter against ex-Yankee Stan It was 4-4. Was there a runner? Runner, runner at first, one out. Rose yeah, I mean, single. you can't put the... Well, you, if, if you walk Schmidt, you put the go-ahead yeah, run at second base. Yeah, on a bloop single. But you can't you, do that. The first base is open, you would have Yeah, first yeah. But you also have a backup catcher who's in the 100 or something. How many like outs? One. Yeah. There was some. I got to be conflict. careful with Schmidt, yeah. obviously. Yeah. All right, so, number five. All right, okay, so number five. Ding, ding, ding. Number five. Okay, number five. We got some of these are, are, are you know, you definitely put them in there. I think Matt Stairs, pinch hit home run, snaps a tie. 2008 versus L.A. Broxton. Or Broxton, and the Phillies clinched the pennant uh, the next day. So, the game I was at, game three, right. Schwarber let off the game with a home run. Right. He caught the ceremonial first pitch from Matt Stairs. Oh, wow. Before the game, <laughs> yeah. So, it's funny. It's like, you always struggle here to get a – if you struggle to get a 
guy to catch the first pitches like at a Blue Claws game. Right. He's like, oh, you can't get the, the you can't get the you can't get a guy in the lineup. Oh, he's right. he's gonna play a game. Well, Kyle Schwarber caught uh, a ceremonial first pitch that's before great. Game Three of the NLCS uh, and hit a home run in his first at bat. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> that is the first appearance on the list. By the way, of Jonathan Broxton. We, and it won't be the last. <laughs> no, because in 2009, we have uh, big hit number four, Jimmy Rollins, two out, two run double, the bottom of the ninth versus Broxton. And the immortal word to Scott Fransky, the Phillies have done it to Broxton again. So and, the, and it gives the Phillies a 5-4 win, and they clinch the pennant the next day. That hit by Rollins right. was the number one hit in – Phillies postseason history by win probability mm -hmm. added because it actually won the game. And not only that, they were losing at the time. Right, yeah. yeah, it went. It went. They went from right. eleven. Per, it was eighty-two point nine percent. So they went from, um, you know, thirteen percent to one hundred percent because the, <laughs> really the game is over. The stairs home run was number seven right. on the list, and the reason why is because the game was tied at the time right. he hit it. So it's always going to be a little lower because you're. Win probability in a game that you're tied is obviously much higher than right. when you're losing. So that's the Rollins hit. Now we go to number three. I think I spoke about this before, number three on the list. Gary Maddox, RBI single top of the 10th, 1980, decisive game five of the NLCS in Houston, sends the Phillies to an 8-7 victory and uh, the World Series. Maddox had sort of a, a mixed post-bag postseason. He had made an error or two in, in some big games. And he hits the first pitch in the top of the tenth with a, with a runner at second uh, for, or it might have been third for uh, the RBI single that breaks the tie in that in that wild game game five. Phillies win it and uh, go, go on to win the World Series. So City, that Kansas one, City. Okay. yeah, that did not make the list as okay. far as win probability added. Um, again, I believe I, I believe because at the time he hit it. The game was tied, but obviously right. it's an iconic right. hit in Philly's history. So now we go to number two, which is uh, 1950. And this has come up in, in Philadelphia talk shows the, the last uh, couple of days, uh, comparing it somewhat to uh, Bryce Harper's home run, talking about Dick Sisler's three-run home run. And a lot of people going, who, what, when, where? Dick Sisler's three-run home run, top of the tenth at Brooklyn, snaps a tie and gives the Phillies a 4-1 win over the Dodgers to clinch their only their second National League pennant and their first in 35 years. That was 1950. And it would be another 30 years. <laughs> that would be another 30 years. And as a Phillies I mean, if you think fan, about it, they, if not for that hit, or not for that game, <laughs> they would have literally went they were 65 gone. years. Well, yeah, but they they would not have made the postseason until 1976. Yeah, well, be sorry, 65 years between pennants. Pennants, yeah. yeah, and then a little shorter than that, it yeah. would have been 1950 to 1976. The, the Phillies in in. September Phillies fashion had a big lead over the Dodgers coming down the stretch. I was looking at something the day they lost five of six, or you know something like that. I know they lost five in a row, and their their pitching was depleted. Kurt Simmons, who big left-hander, complimented Robin Roberts as uh, as the one-two punch. Roberts number one, Simmons number two had been drafted in the National Guard to go fight in the Korean conflict. He was he was he was out of the rotation by then. He had a couple of other injuries, and, and Sisler 
hits the uh, it's the three run home run. So that that's not on this Lauber list either because that's right. technically that was a regular season right. game. But he said that it was about it was uh, about thirty seven. It would have been around ten, eleven, twelve, and win probably added. But remember that's only because again the game was tied. One of the cool facts about that home run yeah. is that the inning was started with a base hit by Robin Roberts. Right. Yeah, right. Now, he didn't score the winning run because there was a, uh, a force play. He was out at second. Yeah. He so was he, out at third, actually. Right third. Another hit. Then Richie Ashburn, who's an excellent bunter, bunted actually into a force play. They got Robert to third, and then Sisler hits, hits the home run. But So he didn't technically score the winning run, but he started the yeah, rally. Yeah, right. Which is crazy because he had pitched nine innings, and he would pitch the tenth. Roberts had pitched like almost every game for about a week <laughs> until that until he pitches the final that final game in Brooklyn on two days rest. He had pitched on uh, Thursday. He actually had pitched Wednesday against the Giants. He took him out after five innings. This is a book I have here. Uh, the Whiz Kids in the 1950 pennant. Robin Roberts wrote it along with uh, C. Paul Rogers III. And uh, Roberts had started the Wednesday game in New York against the Giants, was lifted after five innings. They were losing. Hank Thompson hit a three-run homer, offering to make it 5-2, so they pulled him out. The next day, Phillies lose a doubleheader to the Giants in New York. He starts the second game and goes eight innings and loses 3-1. to one. And then two days later, this is, this is after all this, he starts the final against Don Newcomb. I believe he was also pitching on, on, on short rest. And wins that game, pitches all 10 innings for the complete game victory. To say that wouldn't happen today is, uh, is a mass understatement. Well, the other thing is, think about what happened to the Dodgers a year later. The shot heard around the oh world. Oh, yeah, right, Bobby Thompson. Think yeah. of the excruciating, <laughs> excruciating yeah, right. defeats on the verge yeah. of the pennant that the Dodgers had in successive seasons. There's a great line here in the book where Roberts has talked about, when I trudged out to face Brooklyn in the bottom of the ninth, at this point the game is tied 1-1, I knew if the Dodgers scored, we'd not only lose the ball game, but also the pennant, because had they lost that game, the race would have been tied. They were facing then a three-game, it would have been a three-game playoff series with the Dodgers. Right. And the Phillies were a depleted team That's uh, what by that time. That Thompson home run was in the Robbie Thompson home run. Bobby Thompson home run was game three of a of, best of, of three playoffs because playoff, they yeah. have tied him. So Roberts is saying, my wife Mary and I had planned on taking a vacation in Florida after the season with some of my World Series money. And I remember for a brief moment thinking, if we don't win this ball game, we're not going to go to Florida. <laughs> and then after they win it, he says, so, he says, I simply went, so Eddie Wake as the first baseman catches the last out of pump foul in the bottom of the 10th inning in Brooklyn. Robert said, I had a feeling that I had never experienced again in athletics. Relief, complete satisfaction, exhilaration all rolled together. And my trip to Florida with Mary was safe. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. And then so Harper is and number then Harper one. Harper is, yeah. is, is number and one. And you said it was close, but Harper brought him from behind. It. Right. Yeah, Harper's. Now, on the other hand, though, if if they had, they wouldn't have been eliminated if they lost that game to Brooklyn. Right. But they would have been in deep trouble. Deep trouble. There's, there's almost no the, way. The Phillies, the Phillies yeah. are up three to one. So uh, we're talking about Harper. But they Harper were home the run. Harper home run. Yeah. But then you got to go back there, and who right. knows what's going to happen. So 
Yeah, it's tough. I, I agree with you on the Harper one. The Harper home run was like was that wasn't that like a Hollywood moment? Yeah, it was just it was it was well, a, it was a movie come to life. Well, it, we talked about it was the natural with everything except the the light towers exploding. Well, we talked about movie, Joe the natural, Davis. The guy hits the home run. Yeah, and uh, Robert Redford hits the home run and, all, and all the, hits the light tower and all the bulbs go off. Well, we talked before about Joe Davis, and you know he said, "Great, great, what a moment!" Here. Before he comes up as he's wa- as he's walking up to the plate, or you know, what an opportunity! You know, I forgot exactly what he said. Legacy opportunity, yeah. whatever. Um, and then he hits the home run, and he and he says, "The swing of a lifetime." Uh, what? what an unbelievable <laughs> call! I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, really. And then. He says the swing of lifetime, and then doesn't say anything, which is perfect. And he yeah. lets him run around, and, and he runs around yeah. the bases, and he and he lets the viewer kind of absorb the moment and right. the crowd, which is exactly how you're supposed to do it uh, on TV. You know, and Fransky's call was great too. Bedlam at the bank. Oh, that's they have T-shirts out with that now. Already, right? I, I think I think I got to get one. <laughs> Bedlam, Bedlam at the bank. I already. You can return a, your <laughs> I don't like this place shirt. <laughs> yeah, <that's> right. <laughs> I already sent away from my World Series 2022 hat. I ordered that online. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if I'm going to order anything else after that. So there was, um, in terms of the uh, that win probability added, Rollins' hit, they were losing. That was the biggest. Yeah, 100%. Harper's home run added um, 47%. That was the second biggest. My guess in the, the difference uh, is the Rollins' Uh, home run. They were down to their final out. Right. The Phillies yeah. won. Uh, they had six outs to play with. But there was another hit by the Phillies in the postseason that's actually number three on this list. Yes? Go ahead. It was Gene Segura's hit that tied the game uh, against the Cardinals in the first game of that postseason in the ninth inning. They were down 2-0, then it was 2-1, and then he got the base yeah, hit. Put them ahead. Put them ahead, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were losing at the time. Right, they're lo- they're losing two to one. He hits, it's the ground ball just inches away from uh, the diving second baseman into uh, into right field. You know, you, Do we have time to talk about the stretch run here a little bit for this year yeah. for the Phillies? Uh, I was going to say though, okay. it's crazy though that one inning. They're oh, down great. to nothing. Yeah. You don't know how this postseason would have ter- turned oh, out oh, without sure. that. Yeah. When I you mean, when you go back and think about it, because they really haven't faced. Um, any adversity, serious adversity, elimination adversity right. since then. They win right. game one in Atlanta, so then they, they lose game two. Yeah, it's a tough loss. Hopkins made that, you know, didn't field that ball, uh, but they got shut out in that game. But it doesn't matter because you're coming right. home, it's 1 1, you're fine. San Diego, they win game one, and then you lose game two. Yeah, it's annoying because you're up 4 nothing uh-huh. in, in the whatever, the third inning. Um, but you come back, you're at 1 1, you're okay. But if they had lost that game, first of all, they're not coming home no matter what because yeah. <laughs> all the games are there. Uh, but now you got to win two in a row on the, you know, on the right, road again. Yeah. And you don't know what would have happened. I think that's that's an underrated. And people forget about it now because they've had the last two series have gone and, um, and you know how the last two series have progressed and everything. But uh, who knows what would have happened if they. You know, they say, Greg, what's the popular phrase that managers only, you know, affect five or six games during the season? So I'll give you three instances here where the managers All right, adversely affect their, their teams. Okay, Hensley in the ninth inning, game game one at St. Louis, didn't have it. Right? Correct. He, he strikes out Reese Hoskins, then he walks 
two. And he has this hand. You know, and, he had the and, thing and, with the hand from the other right, day. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then he he gives up. Uh, then he he hits Alec Bohm to load the bases. And by then you're you're he's got to be out. He's got to be out, and they leave him in. And Segura gets a two-run single before he's going on to to score six runs. So game three against Atlanta, where they start Spencer Strider, who's coming off an injury, hasn't pitched in X amount of days, which was definitely a bold move. Right. However, so in the and everyone, well, I, I think. Joe Davis and John Smoltz, when I say everyone, I think it was speculation that Spencer Strider would be in there for two innings, and that would be it. They put him out there for the third inning, and the Phillies would say later you could see his velocity dropping. He had started off at 97, 98. Well, Hoskins hit the home run. I think it was like 93, yeah, 94. 94, and his velocity was dropping, and then we talked about the Bryson Stott at bat, which may have worn him down a little bit, and they leave him in there. They walk Schwarber, who is still wasn't really hitting at all in the postseason to get the Hoskins, which sort of makes sense, righty on righty, and then Hoskins hits and does the bat spike and hits the three-run home run. So, so that, that's, I that's think that was, the, that was the right move, I think. To leave him in to face Hoskins? To walk, to walk Schwarber. Yeah. Uh, what, who, who are you going to bring in? Now, do they, after two innings, do they – I mean, he had been so dominant. You almost – you had to leave him in. May, right. Could you have – I don't know yeah. what he was throwing to – like his velocity had fallen off by the time Hoskins got right. there. I don't know what he – I don't remember what he was throwing before that, if you could tell um, that it might be time right. to get him out of there. I don't know. He had been so dominant, and they didn't really have another mm-hmm. option. Um, I mean, they pitched Charlie Morton the next day. Like, right. they just didn't have right. that other guy. I, yeah. But, I mean, pitching Strider at all, I was a little dubious yeah, of it. right. But again, what options did they have? You're going to pitch Morton and Oda Rizzi. That's not going to go well anyway. So, I get the Marmol one in St. Louis for sure. Obviously, the Melvin one we talked about with Hater was that your other? Yeah, one? that that's the poster child of of, of yeah. all. Uh, well, there's only, but that's what you know, these, there are so many in the playoffs. You had like the Aaron Boone thing on Saturday, where he left, where he took Garrett Cole out to bring in like his fifth best reliever when the base <laughs> nobody out there down. They can't hit, and they're down 2 nothing in the sixth inning. The bases loaded nobody out. Like, if they score two runs here, you're done. Right. Uh, and then you're going to fall behind 3 nothing in the series. So that that was a bad one. Obviously, the the one with Blake Snell in Tampa and against the Dodgers when they took him out. Oh, my in the goodness. Oh, game. my goodness. Really? Um, Dave Roberts took one of his pitchers out against the Padres when he was throwing five shot already. So, yeah, they, they, they happen all the time. But I think Thompson has done a great job. You know, he, he doesn't he – doesn't, what he hasn't done is wasted – he hasn't wasted any bullets. Right. Uh, and he's played all the matchups, I think, exactly as exactly as you would have uh, – as you could have hoped for them. Uh, hoped. And, you know, this year it's basically th- – this series it'll basically be about correctly de- – you know, you deploy Alvarado to deal with Alvarez right. and work through that, and then Dominguez will piece together, you know, here and there around that. But I think the the biggest thing in the late innings will be Alvarado against Jordan Alvarez. Maybe a subtle advantage for the Phillies in this series, you could say maybe for the Astros as well, is that they'll have the two off days. Now, I, I say that with an asterisk because Monday it's supposed to rain. I'm going. It's not going to rain. the good one. All righty. But if so, it won't get rained out. But if if it 
if the unthinkable becomes thinkable, then I don't know if there'd be another off day. You'd have Sunday and Monday off, but then would they play Tuesday, Wednesday, and and, and just, just go They on? definitely would not have another day off. Right. They would play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right. and then Friday, and then go, and then Friday in Houston. Right. Yeah. So I, it didn't matter. It, no, no series got far enough. I actually was really liked what they did this year in the LCSs where they did not have the off day between games five and six. Mm-hmm. And you would have set up a situation where if a series went seven games without weather incidents, you would have played five days in a row. Mm-hmm. You like that. I love it because I think it's a better test of your the entirety of your pitching staff. Mm-hmm. It makes you make it makes the managers make decisions about reliever usage. Mm-hmm. It makes them make decisions about starting pitcher usage because you know, what do you do in, if you get to a game seven where, you know, do you bring your game three st- – you can't really bring your game three – you could bring your game three starter back on three days rest. Do you do that? Um, I don't know. I, I thought – I think it, it just puts a lot more pressure on the managers in deploying their pitchers, and I think that's part of the, that's part of the fun parts to observe about the postseason, right. and it makes it a lot more interesting. Whereas if you play, you know, every – um, you know, if you add that day off in, you know, your game three starter can pitch in game seven on uh, on normal rest. Your game, you know, you, you have extra time to rest your relievers and, and all that stuff. I, I liked it. It's not going to stay. I think they, they only did it this year because the postseason was delayed because of the lockout. Right, yeah. So because of the lockout, the they started the uh, they started the playoffs later. And thus had to. Um, they didn't want to start the World Series later, so they didn't define days here and there. So that's how you know that's how it worked out. I, I assume what'll happen next year is the regular season ends on a Sunday, and then the Wild Card Series will be Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then the Division Series will begin on Saturday. This year, the regular season ended on a Wednesday, and then. You had Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which was cool to have it on the weekends uh, for the, that wild card round, and then the division series began on Tuesday. I think it'll be a little different next year, but that's how they did it. All right, uh, keys for the Phillies. If the Phillies will win the World Series, if what happens? If they hit. With, yeah. And if the bullpen, I, I'm, I'm going to say that Nolan and Wheeler have to be the two big guns. They've really got to win their starts if, if, if they wind up going. Let me ask and, you this. And Ranger Suarez also can, can pitch credibly. And, and they've got to get continued uh, you know, successful outings of the bullpen, especially from uh, Alvarado and Dominguez. I think the path is pretty much win one in Houston. Right, yeah. Win, I mean, ideally win three, but <laughs> you know, I, I know they're undefeated at home in the playoffs, but it's not going to be. That easy to no. take. You're not. You're probably not going to be able to take three. Hopefully they do. Yeah. You know, this is a different deal here. Right. So you know, you win one in Houston, two at home, and then take your shot. You have Nola for Game Six, and uh, you yeah. know, and, and you, you go from wheel, there. Wheel, I think you have Wheeler for Game Six. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. They flipped them. Yeah. Right. Nola will pitch one and five. Wheeler will, Wheeler will pitch two and six. Uh, yeah, they gave Wheeler an extra day rest right. for start one, and actually he'll have an extra day rest compared to normal rest right. for start two because right. he'll exactly. benefit from the yeah. off days after game two and the off day after game five. Um, I think, you know, most people consider the bullpen depth for Houston 
overall superior. Yeah, yeah. overall to be a superior to the Phillies. Yeah. I think you know there there will be times where the Phillies are going to have to get outs from relievers not named Alvarado <laughs> right. and Dominguez. Who will get those outs? Yeah. And I think that'll be in many ways a key to the series yeah. if they hold up there. Now you hope you know Wheeler and Nola give you seven, you know the first two days, right. but. but Again, that's yeah, that's a that's, tall that, order. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, I think they're gonna. I, I think their offense matches up very well with Houston. Um, their first two starting pitchers match up well with anybody. I think it's you know the those non Wheeler Nola games, and then the the middle of the bullpen, and we'll see what happens. You know, Houston's bullpen is deep and it's really good. And Hector Neris will. Oh yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, will be throwing against uh, his ex teammates. Did you know the first blue claw to play in a World Series? I'm sorry. Who was the first blue claw to play in a World Series? Played for Houston. Ezekiel Astacio. No, I, somehow I wouldn't have gotten yeah. that. <laughs> um, oh, him, yeah. Yeah, so he he was on the first blue claw team, and then whatever year they played the White Sox, uh, he was there. Um, oh, five, I think. Um, so, and now you have Hector Neris there. Which is cool. He was here in 2011. I don't remember Astacio when he was here, but continue. He was the only <laughs> other first year. Yeah. But, no, Hector was here in 2011. Chris Truby was the manager, and uh, Steve Schrenk was the was the pitching coach. You know, And he had pitched. Obviously, he was with the Phillies for a while and one of their main relievers for a while, and he gets a shot there with uh, with Houston. And the, the Phillies have pieced things together. It would be cool if he were a part of this because, you know, he if he were still here, he would be the longest-tenured Philly. Hoskins is the longest tenured big leaguer among the right. Phillies, but Ranger Suarez and Sir Anthony Dominguez are the longest tenured with the organization. But Neris signed with the Phillies back in, like, 08, I think. Yeah, so. Neris was sort of a flashpoint during his career with the Phillies of the, the bullpen failures, even though he, he actually overall pitched well and had a considerable amount of saves. But his blown saves were always seemed to be spectacular and uh, occurred in – like situations where maybe the Phillies win, they they have they have a shot to do big things either you know in a particular series or, or maybe even in the season, and his his blown saves uh, seem to outweigh the uh, the memories of all the games he did save while he was in Philadelphia. All right, so he's got a chance now. Prediction. So logic says that Houston is you know, a superior team. They have a deeper lineup, they have a deeper starting staff, they have a deeper bullpen, but the heck with logic. <laughs> the Phillies seem to be on this magical carpet ride this year, and the logic tells me to pick Houston. I mean, in, so I'm going to pick with my heart, and I'll, I'll say the Phillies in seven, winning the seventh game in Houston. I'll say Phillies in six. Okay. Split the two. Take two out of three, and we'll say that Nola pitches huge in a 2-2 game five next Wednesday. Mm. Hopefully not next Thursday. Hopefully <laughs> not Wednesday. We'll play the game on Monday. Uh, and it's, it's still too early to get worried about that. Of course. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, yeah, we'll say, uh, yeah, Nola, and that'll put him up 3-2. And then uh, Wheeler – with an extra day rest there in Game Six in Houston, and they and they pull it out. And how about? Well, Wheeler would be Game Seven, right? Nola would be Game Six. 
No, Nola well, five. No, Nola's. Nola one and five. Wheeler two and six. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we'll say, uh, we'll say Ranger Suarez gets the last out. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say, you know, like they, they have to bring Alvarado in in like the seventh inning or whatever to deal with Alvarez, and then Ranger gets the last out. That's what we'll go with. So there we go. Tony, okay. thanks. It was a blast. We did way more than I thought. Yeah. But uh, hopefully you guys have enough time to listen to it. <laughs> but if not, there's there's plenty of good stuff um, in there, and you can learn about Dick Sizzler. <laughs> right. Tony, thanks. Appreciate it. Go Phils. Go Phils. <laughs>